Cleocast. Hello and welcome back to Cleocast, the flagship podcast of Clio magazine. This episode features the second half of my conversation with Amelia Days. Amelia is an active practitioner in socially engaged art, with a keen interest in exploring the links between art, walking, food, community building and personal well-being. She's also a multidisciplinary creative who's been involved in numerous varied projects throughout her career so far. She's a regular event organiser at The Carousel, an artist studios and creative co-working space in Nottingham's Hockley area, and has recently taken on the role of associate artist at Nottingham Contemporary. This time, we discuss Amelia's attraction to the role of creative facilitator and continue to explore the crucial part the arts can play in supporting mental well-being. We also cover the realities of life as a freelancer in the contemporary arts, including the sometimes complex relationship between artists and money, and question whether arts education adequately prepares students for creative careers. Listen along to find out more. You've previously described yourself as a facilitator, which seems a very appropriate term. What does that term mean to you and why are you drawn to that role? Facilitator means making stuff happen. An organiser, a bit of a teacher. The first time I was labelled that officially as a job was where I sort of got my official start in workshop facilitation as as a job. Whilst I sort of practiced workshop facilitation at City Arts, the first time I had a role as a facilitator was at Pedestrian, which is an education charity in Leicester. And so I suppose it just it literally just means if you facilitate something, you make stuff happen. It kind of has an element of care and watching over something happen as well, I feel, those associations, just in terms of the word. And I think that that does all apply to the actual act of the job. Yeah, there's a few a few terms, facilitator, creative practitioner. I think that's the one that I put on my on my text. Because <laughs> creative practitioner is really good if anyone's a freelancer. You have to put your business name. And if your business name is you because you are the business, you have to put like your industry or what the job is or your role in the business. So creative practitioner is a good one as well because it just means creative doer. Fancy words for doing stuff and making stuff happen. And I think that that's all I I want to do, really. I just want to do art stuff and make art stuff happen for other people, too. It leaves you open to experiment and try new things as well. So, again, it's that flexibility to explore new areas of creativity. And I think creativity is often a, a spontaneous, organic thing in that you're not always sure which direction you're going to go in. And it's nice to have that room to manoeuvre. Yeah, exactly. You don't know what kind of jobs you're going to get offered or opportunities that you can lend your lend your hand to, lend your skills to. So as well as meanderers, and to add more strings to your bow, you also co-run the drink and draw and collage and cocktail events at the Carousel. Firstly, it'd be great if you could explain exactly what the Carousel is, because it's obviously known to you, known to me. But for anyone who doesn't know what it is, it'd be good if you could just explain. And then also just talk about your experience of running those events and how you got started with that side of things. Uh, the Carousel is an artist studio and co-working space, mostly by day. And then by night, it is an event space and it also hosts workshops and lots of different kinds of live events from parties and DJ nights to art workshops and family workshops, comedy nights, burlesque shows band nights with like multiple bands and musicians on it's hosted all kinds of things 
So I've got my studio there and, and yes, I do the collage and cocktail nights and I do that with Grace who goes by Messy Brain Drink and Draw. So she does drink and draws in a few other places but she hosts that and I go on the bar and then I host the collage and cocktail and she does the bar. So kind of co-run it. They're really nice nights. You've come along and it's just a really nice, again, another way of having a space where it feels a bit like a community. So we've got regulars that come and we've always have new people as well. Um, it's a really warm, friendly environment. And it, I think it's really rare to find places in the city that facilitate friendship building that's not sort of forced and weird. Or, you know, it's not strange to go along to those events on your own. A lot of people do. And they make friends through going to those ones regularly. And again, just like with the walking and the workshops and, and the social eating, you're doing something, you know, so it's easy enough to start a conversation. It might just be, pass me the scissors. Or you might go, oh, that's, that's good, what you're doing, what you're drawing. Well, it's nice that you have that opportunity because, like you say, it is harder to make friends as adults. Mm. And uh, I think I found, for me, going to university, developed a, a big community there. And then as soon as the degree finishes, a lot of that disappears because people live in different parts of the country, move on to different things. And so it's nice to have opportunities available to then go and rebuild that with new people and make those connections in a, a relaxed environment that isn't, like you say, contrived. Yeah, it's, it's neither contrived to like force you to be friends with people or chat to people if you don't want to, but it's also, it does facilitate that opportunity. Say, standard restaurants and pubs and bars don't. Technically, you have the possibility of sitting down with a group of strangers there, but it's kind of an odd move. Usually people don't just make friends at the pub and maintain a friendship with those people from the pub. You might chat to people after a few drinks, but usually... You don't go for coffee the next day. So, yeah, I think it is rare to get that balance right where it is relaxed and you can have a drink, but the focus isn't just entirely alcohol, you know, and people go there if they want to do something creative and they want to meet other creative people. But they also go there if their life isn't creative. They go there to do something different, to break the routine and build in a more positive routine. Well, and that is a, a key example, again, of the arts having a valuable application to everyday life. Even for people who aren't actively invested in the arts every day, it's a way that it's improving by, you know, loneliness is, is a major issue in society and it's tackling that and bringing people together. And so it's showing how arts can apply and be relevant to everybody. Yeah, they're really accessible nights because you don't have to have any prior knowledge really of any art process. And like you say, it's just this place that, yeah, you can come to and, and you can chat to people. And I also, I think that one of the problems is that there isn't much to fill the gap in well-being support from when you're like, absolutely fine, having the time of your life to the worst day ever and it's all gone wrong. You might get help when it's all gone wrong, but most days also aren't the best day ever. Mostly there's somewhere in between and to try and keep yourself level and to keep yourself on the upper end of that spectrum positivity wise you need to do stuff regularly to maintain your well-being and your mental health to just lift your mood a little bit at least once a week do something that you enjoy that's good for yourself that's not self-destructive i don't think that there's very much in place in society generally just to keep on top of it 
there is support and advice when things are going very, very wrong, which is obviously when there needs to be the most support. But when people have come out of that, I don't know where they go next. So I think there needs to be, I'm not saying that coming to collage and cocktail and going for a walk is going to cure absolutely everything. But I think that the more positive things and the, and the ways that people find ways to help themselves um, and to figure out what makes them genuinely feel good which I believe for a lot of people could be walking in art and sharing a meal. I don't think it's mad to think that. I think that's going to be a pretty common thing for most people. But whatever it is, you need to find that and find ways of putting that into your life. And without organisations like Meanderers and events like the Collage and Cocktail and the Drink and Draw, people don't know where to start figuring out how to have positive routines, how to make friends, how to find what makes them be happy. So if people want to come along to any of these events or indeed any of the Meanderers events, how do they find out more information? The best way is on the Carousel website. So all the drinking drawers and collage cocktails are listed there. So you just book on. And then for Meanderers, I've got my own website, www.meanderers.org. I list events there, but also on social media, which is Instagram, Meanderers. I tend to list stuff on Left Lion as well. Lots of great events on there as well. If you're a Nottingham local. You heard it there. Go and check out those websites. I have been to both events and can absolutely recommend. As a creative freelancer, how do you find the life of juggling different opportunities, having to have all those different skills wrapped up into one package and at the same time having to pay the bills and eat? Yeah, it's hard. Um, <laughs> I'm tired. I'm so tired. It's all right. It's all right. I mean, <laughs> I'll give a better answer than that. But the short answer is it's hard and I'm tired. But the long answer is that I wouldn't have it any other way. I probably could have a less complicated, I definitely could have a less complicated life. All you have to do is just get a normal job. <laughs> I have a pretty normal job, but I decide to do that part time and try and do lots of other jobs in the rest of my time for a reason because I love doing those things and I think that they're valuable and they scratch an itch that other things don't. If you're, if you are a creative or an artist, you just have this thing in you you have an idea, you get ideas, you see a problem or there's a question and you you need an answer and you have an idea about how it should be or what someone should do or what needs to be looked at and you kind of can't let it go until you do something about it. Just write a poem or do something more active. There's that terrible cliche when they say, oh, it's not a job, it's a lifestyle. But in a way, it does kind of ring true in the sense that you're not you don't stop thinking about creativity and creative ideas. It stays with you and it's always on your mind. It's part of your life in a way that, as you say, a quote unquote normal job isn't always. Yeah, that's exactly it. You don't clock off from being an artist or creative at, you know, five o'clock. I think that's why it often does get quite complicated. It's quite hard to stop in a way. And do you think that life of juggling different opportunities is sustainable in the long term? Or is there particular ways that you found of dealing with it more effectively or things that you think could help people who are going through that? I feel like I am still figuring out that balance. On the one hand, with freelance, when the jobs come in, sometimes you just have to say yes. And you know that for two months, you're going to be working day and night and there's going to be no weekends at all. And you decide that's okay because it's yourself. The benefit of that, if you live a completely freelance life and you can support yourself from that, sometimes it is going to be like crazy, intense with work. 
But the other side of that is that you're not bound by 20 days of holiday a year, like in a normal job, and you don't have to stick by the people's schedule. And the hardest taskmaster on yourself is yourself. You are your own annoying boss. I'd rather argue with myself than someone else, really. (laughs) My dad's been freelance for most of his life, so I've kind of grown up in that environment. I know that if, say, if a big job comes in and you're like, wow, this is loads of money, it's not like, right, book the holiday, buy the new sofa, you're like, whoa, calm down, this might have to last you (laughs) before the next job. But some people just don't, they won't like it, but it 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 does really suit others. If you really like to know exactly when you're getting paid every month on that day and you get paid then and all your bills go out then, all of that, then yeah, freelance is not for you. But there are lots of jobs, there are ways of being employed in the arts and you can keep things relatively low risk and do your own practice on the side as a very much a side hustle as and when you fancy it. But yeah, if you want to just go full in as a as an artist at some point, you're going to probably have to be freelance. And it's a gamble. But one of my sayings amongst my friends, one of my bits of advice that I consistently give out and work very... I, I, tr- I really do try to follow it myself, is that I'd rather gamble on myself. You are the best bet that you will ever take. I like that. <laughs> I like that a lot. Well, the thing is, realistically, it's all a gamble. Jobs offer you an idea of security, but lots of big companies can gamble with your pensions and they could make you redundant and you lose the company car and the big house you took out the mortgage with because you knew you were getting this salary for so many years. I think the job market and finance and all the things in the world just goes to show that actually it's all a gamble. Nothing is totally secure. Nothing is for sure. The only guarantee is change. So if you're going to gamble, which we all are really, I'd rather gamble on myself. And if I know that I need this much money, as long as you've got stuff in place, you know, with with an ounce of practicality as well, that you've got connections of people that you can call up for extra work and you're good at what you do and you're at a certain rate of pay because you've got that experience, so you can ask for that once you get to that position. Yeah, yeah, I'll gamble on myself to make it happen. Who else? It, you can look back at especially creative people who've been successful. And a lot of the time, a key theme that I've noticed is they took risks, calculated, assessed risks, but risks nonetheless, and had that faith coupled with hard work and dedication, and it paid off. Yeah, you have to have all the things behind you, like you say, the hard work and the determination, but there will be a point that you need to decide, are you in or are you out? Are you doing it or not? If so, you need to take that leap. Get the fear that pushes you to go for the big opportunities. And do you think that in terms of people developing that and and aspiring to work in the arts, do you think that the current ecosystem of arts education effectively prepares people for those practicalities, making money, the role that your background and, and things play? Do you think that that comes across in the way people are taught about art and artistic practice? Hmm. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> I'm sensing scepticism. I don't want to outright just say no, but I feel like I could. It, of course, I'm, you know, an advocate of education. I love education. I've been through a lot of education 
I'm team education. Love it. Pro education. Do I think that it's as good as it could be? Of course not. I don't think anyone would say that, even people who work in that side of things. Well, I've worked in schools and more alternative education stuff and a little bit of mainstream. And we all know it's not the best that it could be, especially in terms of the creative subjects all the way from primary school to university. I do think it's good. I think there's been lots of things that have been extremely valuable from my arts education. There's definitely been connections and the way that it's pushed my practice forward through deadlines and having tutorials and the tutors and the technicians that I've worked with across all of my further education has been great. And I guess bound as it is by curriculum requirements and time constraints and all of that kind of thing, there's only so much even the best arts education can teach you. And some of it comes down to proactivity, getting out there, doing it and gaining that experience and learning from it. Yeah, possibly. It's difficult because I I do love it. I am pro-education and my master's has definitely helped me in lots of ways. But having said all that... The other side of it is that I've now completed six years in formal higher education and no one has mentioned the money. There's been like little bits, there's been like hints at it about like professional development and this vague notion of funding that's always floated, but no one tells you how or what you should be writing like. And being a fundraiser or a bid writer is a whole job in arts organisations, which means that if you are an independent that's another whole job that you have to do yourself. So you also have to do that and compete with these professionals to get the funding. So yeah, I do think that they should have just sort of prepared us a bit more for that and given us those skills. They've always been a bit mysterious about it, which I don't like. Well, I was going to say actually, because there's, I've found sometimes when it comes to the arts and people working in the arts, there is a bit of an aversion to talking about money and it's almost like it's kind of a dirty subject but really it's a barrier to a lot of people and it underpins a lot of stuff that goes on in the arts and so it is interesting that there's that air of mystery around it when it's so integral to keeping the arts going. I have a lot to say about this and I'm going to try and restrain myself. The bottom line is I think that it's easy to not talk about money and to think that it's a bit gauche to talk about money if you have it. I think that People who don't have it and who come from backgrounds, working class, middle class, even just any kind of what I would call like typical backgrounds, but they're not typical backgrounds in the arts, actually. The arts, as we know, has a big class divide, a big class problem. So everyone that I know who's grown up at some point having concerns about money and where the money is going to come from and whether it is going to come in, they're, they're all okay talking about money. Everyone's okay talking about how much they earn. Everyone's okay with that. It seems to be the people who have money, potentially from parents when you're starting out, uh, security net, which is nothing wrong with that. Or, you know, they've managed to land a big job, especially quite early on. Those are the people who don't want to talk about it or organisations who do have a lot of money, do have a lot of funding, projects that are really well funded. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that people don't want to talk about it if they have it. I I think it's important to talk about money and I'd like to be one of the people who are talking about money and that's why I I think there's nothing wrong in ticketing some of the events. They were only, like well, they were like 10 to £15, pounds, which included two activities, one of which was like a making thing that you get to take home and a meal. Like, that's not a lot of money. 
compared to lots of things that people do pay money for. Just because it's in the arts doesn't mean that it should just be free. It would be lovely if it was free, if it was funded, because, you know, accessibility is a concern. But just because it's free to the participant, I think people need to realise that doesn't mean that it's free and therefore valueless. I think it's good to be very open about all these financial and logistical things. I'm not interested in creating any mystery around it because it's not mysterious, it's realistic. People think that if you're an artist that you should be doing it just for the love of it. Well, you can't pay Tesco's weekly food shop in nice ideas. You wouldn't expect someone to fix your car for free just because the mechanics have always been really into cars. That, that would be completely unreasonable. So, yeah, I don't see why any kind of creative is the exception to the rule. Yes, if we go down the whole philosophical route on whether, you know, we should be in a capitalist system, no, probably not, it's terrible. But currently we are, and this is the world that we currently live in, and you can only do what you can do with the tools that you have. And I'd like to make that money doing something that yes, I like doing, but also that I feel is my best skill set. Whilst I can turn my hand to other things like a bit of teaching or even bar work, I think that my best skill set is within the arts. That's actually where my most valuable skills are. It's also where I've invested in myself. And whatever way you've invested in yourself, if you've spent years of practice on a craft, if you've got loads of experience, if you've volunteered for this and that, that's all value gained as well just the same as any other trade or craft. I think art schools could be doing more to be more practical, and I think that the rest of the world, from the public to art institutions, also need to be more realistic about the value in all its forms that artists bring to the world and society. Do you have a particular vision or an end goal in mind in terms of where you want your career to end up? Or are you more about following your nose and seeing what opportunities come along? What's the flight path going forwards? I'm trying not to have too much of a fixed idea in my head. There are little points, like little markers that I would like to get to. I would definitely like to be at the stage where without too much effort of overly applying for loads and loads of things all the time that I could sustain myself on a nice lifestyle in a freelance art way. I mean, the the Notting Contemporary job was cool. Yes, and congratulations on that, as if you didn't have enough going on. I know. Oh, <laughs> this is what happens. Things escalate. But yes, so associate artist which I like for lots of reasons. I think it's a really nice role, getting to be an artist, working in the community. And also it's really great to be associated and kind of let into one of the big art institutions when I've always been in like very sort of on the outskirt, like slightly fringe-based arts places. It's really nice to be valued by the big institution as well. And also for the first time ever, on my job role, it is artist. That's, to be honest, one of the most exciting bits is that that's what it will say that I and that no one, nobody could argue that I am now being paid to be an artist. It's it's there, which is exactly what everyone said would never happen. So I, I, I'm very pleased with that. And I think to be in all aspects, whilst I view a lot of work that I do that wouldn't perhaps be typically seen as being an artist. 
like some of the more teaching based side of things, some of the more like organizational event planning side of things. For me, it kind of all ties in together. It, and I kind of see it as part of my wider artistic practice because it's all using skills that are part of my art practice and that I couldn't do those jobs if I hadn't had an arts education and some experience in the arts. But technically, none of those other jobs have art in the title. So I would like to be at the stage where I can very confidently introduce myself and say, oh, so what's your job? Oh, I'm an artist. And that is 100% true. I'd like to travel. Wouldn't it be great if Meandras could go worldwide? It'll be really cool to have some kind of international collaboration. So, yeah, I think I'd like to see more of the world and do that whilst being more of an artist. It sounds like an achievable pathway. Hopefully. Obviously, like, you know, major fame and riches, turn a prize, <laughs> that kind of thing. Other than the absolutely sterling words of if you're going to gamble on anything, gamble on yourself, what parting words would you give to people who are looking to follow in your footsteps as creative freelancers? Other bits of advice. Um, work hard, be kind. I also think about the advice that Neil Gaiman gave on his commencement address. If you haven't watched that, it's really good. But he points out that to be successful in his experience, you need three things. You need to be good and you need to be on time and you need to be easy to work with. But you actually only need two. So if you're not easy to work with, then you best be good and on time. If you're really good and you're really easy to work with, then it doesn't matter if you're a little bit late. And if you're not that good, but you're easy to get along with and you're always on time, People will also forgive that. So that's advice from Neil Gaiman, not me. I'm not stealing his advice, but it is advice I try and follow. The other thing is the ah, screw it response, where you're thinking about doing something for a while. You've been mulling over an idea and maybe you think the idea is too big for you or you're not ready for it or you feel like you should have some sort of mad accolade or extra training before you even attempt something or god what will people say if they know that this is my secret dream is to be this thing and you worry so much about it until eventually you say ah screw it i'm just gonna do it anyway and sign up to the open mic um apply for the exhibition apply for the job post your art on instagram when you're a little bit underprepared and you're not too sure you haven't got it all ready it's not as perfect as you wanted it to be sometimes you just have to do that you'll never be ready there's always an excuse not to so sometimes you just have to say yeah screw it and uh, do it anyway amelia thank you so much for joining me on cleocast that was the second half of my conversation with amelia days don't forget if you'd like to find out more about meanderers you can do so by heading over to meanderers.org if you're a Nottingham local and would like to find out more about events at The Carousel, you can check out their website, thecarousel.uk, and look for what's on. It's important to mention at this point that neither Cleocast nor Cleo Magazine as a whole are sponsored in any way by any organisation mentioned in any episode unless specifically stated. If you're enjoying Cleocast, don't forget to subscribe, that way you'll never miss another episode. And if your friends are interested in art and creativity, why not share it with them as well? You can also support us by leaving a review as that really does help us to get the word out and allow others to find us. 
If you'd like to find out more about Clio Magazine, head on over to cleomagazine.com, where you can learn all about the project as a whole and discover a variety of new content published on a regular basis. You can also follow us on Instagram, X and threads at Clio Magazine to stay up to date with all the latest developments and more. Like, follow, share, let us know what you think. Clio Magazine is a brand new platform and your support is truly, truly appreciated. I've been Lawrence Robertson and until next time, thank you for listening to Cleocast. <laughs>